It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's far, far away, behind the moon, beyond the rain. Can you guess where it is? Hello, I'm Rachel Kahn, and this is The Ark on ABC Radio National. Here's another clue. It's got a yellow brick road. It's Oz, of course. Not the place discovered by Captain Cook, but a land invented by L. Frank Baum in 1900. The wonderful Wizard of Oz was not only a successful children's book, but a stage production, and later a film starring Judy Garland as Dorothy. One of the founders of women's studies in America, Kay Rogers, explains Baum's feminist influences. Uh, His mother-in-law was uh, Matilda Gage, who was a very eminent suffragist. His wife uh, was strong-minded like her mother and actually was the more practically competent member of the pair, and she ran the family finances for most of their life together. And he was devoted to both of them. Did Frank Baum actually allude to the suffragette movement in the book? Well, it's a very transparent allegory. Uh, Ginger uh, is a milkmaid who is tired of doing housework, and so she organizes an army of girls to um, take over the Emerald City. She thinks men have run things long enough. It's time women ran things and men did the housework. Actually, his treatment of that subject uh, would gratify the most ardent anti-feminist, and that's why I said it has to be explained away. And actually, it's kind of um, complicated. The Wizard of Oz was made into an extremely successful musical comedy. And he was thinking about that when he wrote The Land of Oz, in which there are a number of features that he thought would make a big hit on the stage, like uh, an army of shapely chorus girls. So that determined him, and I think he sort of lost sight of his principles and convictions when he wrote about them. Now, Land of Oz was a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Right, right. Kay, what about the good witches in the story of The Wizard of Oz? Where did he get that idea? Matilda Gage. Uh, She wrote a magnum opus called Woman, Church, and Society, and she actually wrote much of it under the bomb roof. She was living with Frank and Maud, so they must have been talking about the ideas all, all the time. Now, in that book, first of all, she talks about the original matriarchy, which was a fairly respectable idea back in the time she was writing, that that we started as a matriarchy and then everything went wrong when men took over. She also spoke about witchcraft, and her interpretation of witches were that they were sort of proto-scientists who, although denied formal education, studied nature and understood nature better than anybody else. So they had a special knowledge, and they used it for good very often. Like Glinda. Exactly. And that idea actually bothers fundamentalists to this day because they say, how can a witch be good? Indeed. Well, probably more than the witches, it's the three traveling companions of Dorothy that capture most people's hearts, and that's the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion. Was Frank Baum using his story to convey something about his spiritual beliefs, sort of along the lines of the power of positive thinking? Well, I don't care for that phrase because it sounds sort of um, simplistic, but uh, in fact, he he was. (laughs) 
Uh, he tried to see the good in people. He believed that people had capacities within them that if they exerted themselves and you know were optimistic in their outlook, they could accomplish great things. Of course, that's what happens to the three characters. They start off highly dissatisfied with themselves because they lack the crucial characteristics. Well, of course, it turns out that they do indeed have brains, heart, and courage. They just don't know it. When they learn that they have the qualities, they're happy. Kay, I'm always amazed at how much those three characters and Dorothy speak to me as an adult. How and why does the story do that? Well, first of all, Baum did not write down to children, and he did not create a sort of inane, childish universe. And for that reason, adults can read the books and not be turned off. Then he put very sophisticated ideas in the books, uh, although they are expressed in, in simple terms. I mean, just to take, for instance, the three traveling companions who raise the question of, you know, what is intelligence, what is heart, what is courage. Uh, as the wizard says to the lion at the end, courage is not not being afraid, it's acting bravely even if you are afraid. And uh, if you look at the scarecrow, you see quite a, a sophisticated concept of the development of intelligence because he's conscious as soon as he's created and then as soon as he gets his ears and his eyes painted on, he begins to take in information and to process it. And then when he first meets Dorothy, of course, he thinks he's totally stupid because he has no brains. But it's not that he has no brains, it's that he has no experience. And then as he gradually accumulates experience, he becomes the best problem solver in the, uh, in the group. Uh, so this is what intelligence is, but of course he still needs the physical brain, so the wizard gives him brand new brains made of bran mixed with pins to make them sharp, and he then thinks that he is all of a sudden intelligent. Uh, and actually, he's not any different than he was before, although he thinks he has some wonderful, wonderful thoughts that he can't communicate to anybody because nobody else could understand them. Uh, and here you wonder, you know, is that intelligence to have ideas that nobody can understand, or is it intelligence to solve problems? There's a, a lovely interchange with Dorothy when Dorothy is telling him about, about Kansas and what it's like and how she wants to go back, and the scarecrow says, well, why do you want to go back to Kansas, which is gray and dreary, when Oz is so beautiful and wonderful? And she says, well, if you had brains, you'd understand that home is best, however dreary. And the scarecrow says, well, it's a good thing there are people with brains instead of stuffed with straw like me, because if everybody's head was stuffed with straw, we'd stay where it's beautiful, and Kansas would have no people in it. So it is fortunate for Kansas that some people have brains. And of course, you wonder here, you know, is it brains that keep you in a horrible place where you were born? And if that is true, are brains really a good thing to have? Gosh, I mean, there are so many issues that that raises. And of course, Frank Baum himself was thinking about all of these things because he was a theosophist, which was pretty new at that time. And I know he wrote a few newspaper articles about it. Do you think The Wizard of Oz actually conveys some of that theosophical interest? Not in a direct way, I'd say. There is an article I've read 
which interprets it as an allegory of theosophy and does not make sense in, in my view. Uh, the, the essential idea of the article is that um, Dorothy wants to go back to gray Kansas because that represents the grayness of truth, and Oz, which is so beautiful and variegated, is illusion. And this uh, completely turns around the emotional uh, effect of Kansas and Oz in the book. Where I think theosophy did come in was this, that the theosophists did not make a sharp distinction between the physical world and the spiritual world. They felt the spiritual world was real and that, in fact, there are levels above the world we live in that are populated by various uh, spirits and that these are often, some of them are nature spirits that give life to nature. So Baum creates a fairyland, and I think that for him, it had a kind of reality, and that this makes it more convincing. That is, if he writes about fairies, they're not just creatures of fancy. They have a subjective reality in any case. Then also, theosophy did not make a sharp distinction between spiritual inquiry and scientific inquiry. Theosophists believe that our business is to get to truth in any way we can, and we can do it through any of the religions, and we can also do it through science, and there isn't a qualitative difference there. And I guess one can even get to it through a children's story. Yeah, yeah, in this sense that Oz and other fairylands had a reality for Baum. I mean, they were a different kind of truth. So we have the influence of theosophy in the reality of the spirits in Oz, and in the magic, because magical searching is analogous to scientific inquiry. For instance, in a later book, Glinda has a problem to solve, and she sets up an experiment to solve it. And Glinda this, is the good witch uh, of the South. And Maud Gage, in her book, and Baum, in various works of his, uh, made the point that the technological advances that we take for granted today would have been magic to our ancestors. Electricity, for example. This, again, is theosophy, the idea that magic is one way to... that, that magic is sort of another name for science. Kay, I'm curious about the origin of the name Oz, because as you probably know, Australia is sometimes called Oz, and even Sydney is called the Emerald City. I see. Well. Um, where did Frank Baum get the name Oz? Well, there is a story that one of his children, he was telling these stories to groups of children, and, and what, a child asked him, what is the name of this place where Dorothy is having her adventures? And he looked around the room, and he saw his file cabinet, and he saw a drawer that was O through Z, and he said, Oz. A good story, but probably not true. There's no authentication for it. My guess is that it's a catchy syllable, uh, a sort of an odd syllable. I mean, you wouldn't think of Oz. And uh, it certainly matches other fantasy lands that he created. I mean, there was Ev, there was Mo, there was Ix. And I think Oz is just one of that group. Hmm. You know, a catchy syllable. At the end of the story, Dorothy meets the wizard, who supposedly is meant to get her out of her predicament, but discovers that he's bogus, that he's a fake. Now, is Frank Baum teaching children to live without illusions? I wouldn't put it that way, because um, 
In another way, you could say that, that Oz is an illusion, and yet Oz had a reality, and he thought that imaginative reality was most important. What I think he's saying is don't blindly follow authority or accept authority. And this is, of course, a lovely message for children because children are told, you know, you've got to respect the parent, the teacher, just because said person is, is older and wiser than you. And he's questioning that idea. That's what I think he's saying. In other words, don't have a blind veneration for something just because it's um, authoritative. Was the wizard the father god of the Bible, the father god of the West? I wouldn't go that far. You don't think that he was making a theosophical critique there? Well, I'm uncomfortable with that thought. I mean, he certainly was not um, enthralled with Orthodox religion. Uh, He does deflate masculine authority. And it certainly is true that there are no male authority figures in Oz to be venerated. I mean, it's women who rule the place. Uh, The men do not have power. The wizard is a humbug who learns what he knows from uh, Glinda. The only male rulers are ruling dystopias uh, around the edges of Oz. So he certainly is deflating male authority. Mm. How did Frank Baum feel about his own father? We don't know. Uh, What I do know is that Benjamin Baum was a very effective businessman, a self-made man, uh, he was uh, important in the oil business, so make what of that, make of that yes. what you like. Uh, one thing I think is true that that Baum did try very hard all his life to be a successful businessman, and he and he got into trouble because he just wasn't. He was a wonderful writer and not a wonderful businessman. More a dreamer. Yeah. Well, did Frank Baum end up in mountains of money from the Wizard of Oz books? Alas, not. Because of these misguided financial ventures, most of which were connected with the theater, uh, with the result that he actually had to give up the royalties of the Wizard of Oz to pay a debt and ultimately went bankrupt. He should have stuck to his knitting. Catherine Rogers is the author of L. Frank Baum, creator of Oz, and she was speaking to me from Washington, D.C. 